Welcome to the AI for Creative Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Kira Hug. And I'm Rob Marsh. We're the founders of the Copywriter Club. And on this show, our goal is to help you stay ahead of the curve. We'll show you how to use AI to maximize your creativity, simplify your work and life, and reinvent your creative career so AI works for you, not against you. Join us as we explore the intersection of AI, creativity, and career. AI shifted the creative landscape a lot in 2023. That's an understatement. Big time. New tools, new capabilities, new client expectations, new opportunities. Trying to stay on top of each wave of innovation has been dizzying at times. And in this episode, Kira and I are going to unpack the state of play for AI in 2024. We're looking back at all of the, well, some of the major milestones of last year, how AI has shifted the market and what we do. Plus, we're going to talk about how the growing impact of companies like OpenAI, Microsoft, and Google is going to impact us in the future. We'll also highlight some of the struggles and inspiring success stories we've seen in our community over the past year. Looking ahead, Kira also shares her list of specialty roles that creative entrepreneurs might consider in 2024. Everything from AI trainer to framework specialist. And I'll round out our discussion by focusing on the core skills all creatives need to future-proof themselves in the coming year. So let's jump in. All right. So let's kick off with the state of AI for creative entrepreneurs and do a little bit of reflecting on 2023. Just thinking back, I mean, it feels like a decade ago to where where we started and where we are now. Rob, as you think back, like, is there anything that surprised you the most over the last year about these changes in, in our space? I'm not sure that anything surprised me the most, but what as I was reflecting on the last year, it seems like everybody has gone through the stages of denial uh, over the course of the year with AI. Like, I guess there's stages of acceptance, denial, whatever, but grief, we started a stage two grief. Well, yeah. Last fall, you know, everybody was in denial saying, yeah, this isn't you know, strong enough. It's not able to work. It's not going to replace anybody. It's not, you know, what everybody's been talking about for the last 20 years, people have been talking about AI and it just never seems to deliver what it promised. That's all changed with ChatGPT. Uh, and so we shifted from denial to anger, which I think is the second step. And we're all like, I, you know, this is going to, I can't believe that they're doing this. This is going to, you know, take away our jobs, which sort of shifts into depression and all of the things that people were saying, you know, people may not even need copywriters anymore or designers or programmers, all of the things that we do that shifted to bargaining or it's like, wait a second, maybe we can use some of these tools to get better at what we do. And I think we've now arrived at acceptance where like AI is here to stay. And if we want to continue doing what we do, it's not just about using a tool or two, but it's really understanding how the tools impact everything that we do. One other thing when it comes to acceptance is the beginning of last year, I think a lot of people were looking forward to all of these new tools that were going to be coming out. We've certainly seen, we've seen thousands, literally thousands of new AI tools. But the biggest impact that I'm seeing is that the existing tools that we were using two or three years ago have started to incorporate AI into them. So it's it's less about what are all of the new things that I need to do, and it's more about 
how can I use AI in the existing tools? Maybe I need to add one or two, but it's not a complete shift of everything we were doing a year ago and into everything that we're doing today. So does that mean you're loving your Zoom AI note taker, Rob? I don't know if I love it. I'm certainly nice to have notes taken automatically. There are definitely things that that help, you know, with uh, even like the notion, uh, you know, as a writing assistant, those kinds of things. There's little tools that work and just make things a lot better. I mean, AI has been doing a lot of this stuff for us for the last decade anyway. You know, Netflix has been using AI to do movie recommendations and that stuff seems to be working pretty well. And we may be able to see those same kinds of impacts in the tools like Google Docs or Microsoft Office tools that we've been using for, you know, again, decades and AI is just going to help us use them better. Yeah. And to just go along with what you said about, you know, more acceptance of the fact that AI is not going anywhere. I know one of our previous guests on the podcast that Mike Caput said that 64% of marketers say AI is important to their success over the next 12 months. So that will, you know, that number will continue to rise. And I think there's another stage in that grief process. Um, I'm not sure where it fits in. Maybe it's after anger, maybe it's after acceptance, but there's definitely the overwhelm that kind of maybe it slows down at times, but it always is there. And I think that's where I ended up at the end of 2023. It was just like, okay, this is not slowing down. It's actually speeding up. And I thought I had a handle on it, but I I can't keep up. And so there's also that stage of just, it's not denial, but it's just pushing away and taking a break. And so maybe that's a piece of it is just figuring out how to handle this space we're in now and what that means for you as a business owner. And if it means just hitting pause and not obsessing over AI or taking a break and not forcing yourself to integrate something for a month could be just what you need to actually stay in the game and stay focused on the changes that are taking place. Yeah. While we talk about all of this stuff, and I know in a few minutes, we're going to talk about some additional roles that AI is maybe enabling or that we might want to think about doing a little bit differently, but I am 100% convinced that copywriting is not going away. And in a lot of ways, it's not even changing all of that much to really use a lot of the large language model tools well you need to understand the principles of copywriting. You need to understand the principles of persuasion because what you get out of those LLMs, and when we talk about LLMs, we're talking, you know, it used to only be ChatGPT. Now it's ChatGPT, Claude, Bard, Perplexity, Hugging Face, Ernie, Grok, and I know I'm probably still- Ernie? Ernie's from Baidu, uh, which is a Chinese business that has offices in Silicon Valley and, and in Beijing. But I mean, there's so many tools now that, uh, yeah, you can easily get lost, but to use them effectively, you've got to be able to, to understand the principles of good communication. You know, even if you're creating just blog posts or emails, these tools, they're not quite there. And, and I understand there are copywriters who have spent the last year creating the right prompts that they claim say that, you know, it's helping them do the stuff, you know, 20 times faster. They're creating, you know, sales pages in hours, that kind of stuff. I haven't seen anybody share those sales pages, you know, and saying, yep, it definitely beat the control or, you know, and I'm not saying that it's not happening, but it's not happening at the level that's threatening our businesses. And it takes copywriters to create those tools, right? And so if you are going to help your clients navigate this, it does help to understand 
how to use them, whether it's the, the large language models that I listed out or other tools or tools within the tools that we're using, understanding how to use them, but uh, from the perspective of a copywriter, of a content writer, of a content strategist, of a marketing strategist, those skills are more important than ever. I don't disagree with that. And I think if anything, over the last year, I've been forced to really dive deeper into the craft of copywriting to really understand core principles and, you know, go back and pull headlines that, you know, from Ogilvy to put those into a prompt to create better headlines. And so for me, it's forced me to organize my own thought processes and my own frameworks and create my own templates so that I can be a stronger copywriter in a way that I wasn't necessarily doing it before because I was just not, wasn't winging it, but I didn't have to really think about it and kind of calculate, okay, what am I doing? How is this going to work? Which persuasion principle do I need to use in this email? What type of headline do I need here? What type of intro do I need here? And so in some ways, it's forcing us to just step up in the craft and become more masters of the craft, which is... I think a good thing. Absolutely a good thing. In fact, I think we can use the tools, uh, you know, by prompting them saying, you know, here are uh, several examples from such and such copywriter or that do this particular kind of thing. Give me 24 more ideas using it as an idea generation or strategy generation tool or brainstorming help. That's one of the key use cases that will help us as copywriters in the near term really succeed and do better. In the longer term, we need to understand, you know, how, not just how to like write a prompt, but how the tools will be evolving. And we do that by keeping an eye on what's going on in the industry and staying up to date by watching things like this show that we're producing, many, many emails or newsletters that are out there, you know, talking about those shifts that are available on a daily basis. Yeah. And maybe we should just, you know, jump in here and be really transparent about how our use cases I know we've talked about it on this podcast before, but just to kind of reiterate how we're currently using it, you know, I have used it with client work for research, but also for email creation. I found it really handy for long form sales pages for the sections where I need to write about bonuses or, I mean, in some ways, like the boring sections where I'm just tapped out because I've already put a lot of energy into the sales page and thought through, you know, the frameworks and everything. And by the end, I'm like, oh, now I have to sell people on this bonus, or now I have to write a really great guarantee section. And there's so many great templates I can use from previous sales pages that I have used different AI tools to create those to help as an aid in a way that I would if I was working with a junior copywriter or any type of collaborator on a project. Those are the sections I would outsource because I'm more interested in thinking about kind of the high level strategy of a sales page and really setting the voice and tone and building the argument and those additional elements that are so important, I would rather find some support with those and take those off my plate if I can. So that's been one use case for me. I have a couple other, but how else have you used it, Rob? Yeah. So I mentioned I use it a lot for idea generation, but as I was putting together our copywriting mastery course, I was kind of interested in seeing like, okay, how will AI help me with the research process, with the writing process, and even with adding persuasion elements on the end. And so I experimented with creating some of these mega prompts that 
feed a tool like ChatGPT or Claude a list of here are the 21 different kinds of marketing bullets. And here are three or four examples of each one. And now I want you to generate a list of 100 bullets for me based off of this research document and this product research that I've given you and see what it comes up with. And I used it not just for uh, creating content in the course, but I actually used it for a client that I was working with. And I got the 100 bullet ideas that came back. And of the 100, there were 23 that you know I went through and like, wow, this is really good as a headline, as a subhead, as a bullet, and ended up using, and, and even as copy lines uh, in the document. And so putting together those kinds of prompts and the real key to doing it is to feeding it the right information about your, you know, your product, about your user, about the exact things that you want it to generate and giving the examples of that, which speeds up the writing process incredibly. Yeah, that's great. And I haven't used it as much for bullets, but I think that's a great idea. Bullets, leads, headlines, hooks, headlines all of those things. Sure. Yeah, it's easy. In fact, it's also easy to use to fill in the holes of your research. You know, as we were putting together that course, there's all these questions that you ask, you know, your prospector. There's all these questions you ask about the product, but then you can go back, you give that information to a large language model and you say, okay, what am I missing here? And have it feed you back additional questions. Or, you know, you can then say, okay, now iterate on this and help me, you know, generate a customer avatar, help me generate, you know, like what are the feelings, what are the, the deeply held emotions that I need to touch on in order to sell to this audience, right? And have the LLM uh, and large language model, the, the AI generate that stuff for you. And again, it speeds up your research process immensely. Yeah. And in addition to how you've used it with course development, I've used it for program development. So when I'm thinking more about maybe different coaching programs that we might run or any type of group program that is facilitated um, and there's some implementation involved and it could be where there's a little bit of teaching, but there's a lot more doing and kind of working through exercises like figuring out your brand positioning or planning the year ahead. It's such a great tool for creating really easy ways and giving you an, uh, an entire program curriculum, really, as a curriculum designer and to approaching it in many different ways where you can have creative exercises. And I think the creativity is incredible to help your students really work through a problem and get to the end result. And you can get so granular. I mean, of course, it takes like multiple prompts to get to that point. But it's been a huge aid for me, and I'm still using it today. Even today, I was developing an agenda for one of our coaching programs. And I was like, okay, we've got 75 minutes. This is like, here's the sales page. Here's what we promise people. Here's the end result and where we need to go and where each student needs to go by the end of the call. Here's the goal for the program. Like, here's everything we promised them. Help me develop the agenda, break it down minute by minute of what we're doing, the purpose of it and give me instructions as kind of the facilitator, but also create an agenda for all of the, you know, the students or clients running through this coaching program. And it was incredible. It's something that just would have taken me so much time on my own. So probably it's even more relevant for me is just that curriculum uh, program development and not having to do it from scratch saves so many hours and it's just a better final product. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so much has happened with not just the improvement of the tools and the addition of even more tools, but just all of the changes in the environment and in the AI world that it's it's easy to forget that last May, 
there were over 1,100 experts who were calling for a halt to training any more models until we can figure out how they work, what the impacts are going to be. You know, those experts included people like Steve Wozniak of, you know, the Apple fame, Elon Musk was, was one, all kinds of data scientists, human behavioral uh, psychology experts. They were basically saying, hey, we need to understand this stuff before we move forward. That didn't seem to take. And the tools and you know, everything is moving forward without always understanding exactly how it works. But the changes can impact your business, no matter what business you're in, in incredible ways. Yeah, I think I signed that petition. And you know, you're later, one of the experts. I yeah. Later realized I was like, there's no stopping it and it had a lot more context. Um, but it was interesting. And I don't think we have talked about this, but just even kind of the Sam Altman situation from, I guess it was November. Later. Yeah, last November. Like, I'm curious from your perspective, I don't know how closely you followed it, but like, what did you take away from that whole scenario where Sam was kicked out of his company and then eventually brought back into his company? And we're not going to run through all the details of it because there's plenty of press and media attention on that from November. But like, what do you take away from that at a higher level about what's happening in AI from that? The reason that he was kicked out was this conflict between Sam and the group in, in OpenAI that wanted to continue to explore and push the limits. And there were some on the board who are concerned about the impacts that that's going to have, the risks for humanity, right? So there was that tension in the boardroom. The initial winners was the board, you know, and, and trying to draw some lines around what OpenAI was doing. Obviously, that was reversed. And so I think we should be a little bit concerned about that. You know, yeah, the, I'm not saying Sam's a horror. Uh, human being or those people who want to push the limits are bad people, but you know we don't understand the risks. I know I, I tend to go dark when we've talked about this kind of stuff here on this today. podcast. We don't understand the risks and they could be significant. Now, are they significant at the LLM, you know, large language model level? Probably not, but we don't understand the black box that makes LLMs work. And there may be things that AI is developing capabilities of and understanding of that it doesn't let us know, or we can't see that happening. Once that becomes an AG, general AI, which is more than just language, but starts you know, being this all-encompassing intelligence, yeah, there are some significant risks for humanity that um, a lot of people don't want to talk about or even think about. So I appreciate that the board was saying, hey, we, we need to understand this better and address the lies around it. I also appreciate the other sides, like, well, we need to explore this stuff and make it better. I think in 2024 and 2025, we're going to see government step in and start to draw some of those lines because uh, people are going to start realizing the risks that are out there. Uh, I mean, Google just announced this week, I think, that they're going to replace 30,000 jobs with the AI. We'll see if that actually materializes the way that they plan to. But when you start seeing those kinds of layoffs, I think people are going to become more concerned about the impacts of AI and demand that government start to take a lead on this stuff. The risk, of course, with that is government has no idea how technology works either, and it may not actually improve things. Government is like 10, 20 steps behind right now with what's happening in AI. Exactly. Yeah, that's helpful. I think I took away this a similar idea from that. I was like, okay, this board was started to focus on safety and that caused the friction. And now Sam's just kind of free to run without that board focused on safety so he could focus on the commercial interest. So who's worried about safety at this point? But even this week, I noticed that they're working on a new safety department in the company, yeah, we'll, which we'll probably is more of a PR move than anything, but so. we can keep an eye on that. Um, I think what affected me after that, just from a small sample size of me as a user of ChatGPT, after that whole scenario played out, 
felt like ChatGPT was just so crappy. Like in November and December, it just was not performing. I know other people posted in our Facebook group about <laughs> it was like timing out. and it, But it was a really great reminder that we need to understand the craft and we need to continue to maintain our skills so that we can do our job even when these tools do not do what they're supposed to do or maybe are not you know, optimized and working at their best in a way that they have previously because I could not get much of anything out of that tool. Um, it seems like it's slightly better this month. Um, I'm still kind of figuring out if it's recovered from that, but I think it's probably directly related to the conflict in the company when, when everyone was like upset and maybe not focused on their day-to-day -day operations. That definitely could be impacting it. I noticed the same thing a few months ago with ChatGPT and uh, have used it a little bit less, uh, yeah. use Claude a bit more. I'll oftentimes start in Claude and then I'll jump over and see, well, can ChatGPT add anything, you know, the, the Claude isn't doing. So, you know, not being limited to to one of the tools or, you know, that that kind of helps. You know, we did talk with Sean McIntyre uh, a little while ago about the recursion problem that happens with uh, AIs and the testing data. And when you start feeding an AI content that was generated by AIs, you're actually not necessarily improving the level of content, but you're, you're going to regress to the mean uh, or to the average. And so... That may already be happening with some of the tools, which is why people are starting to see, you know, those impacts or, or not as great content being generated, not as great ideas coming from it. And again, that's a reason why we need smart copywriters who understand marketing strategy and copywriting and persuasion, because when you start to get those results, it's going to take some back and forth to improve them enough so that it's, it's actually going to perform the way that it needs to, or it's going to be, need to be rewritten by a human anyway. Yeah, or it could have been a, you know, I wonder if it was also a capacity issue. I know they had a capacity issue where they weren't taking on new paid users at that point. So I think the the point is like what happens with these bigger companies is relevant to all of us because if there's this battle with the board for Sam, we could say, who cares? We don't care. It doesn't affect us, but it does affect us. If the tool disappears tomorrow, then we need to be able to maneuver and understand what's happening at a larger level in this entire space. If safety is a concern, we need to be aware of that for our own privacy issues and for our clients' privacy issues. So I think it's not enough anymore just to focus on how we're using tools in our day-to-day, -day, but we need to pay attention to what's happening at a larger level in this entire space. So before we move into you know, talking about some of the roles that um, you know, copywriters and other marketers, uh, other creatives may be thinking about, do you have predictions for what's going to happen in 2024 with AI, where you see it going, what changes you think uh, are immediately uh, going to manifest themselves? Well, I think these might be predictions based off some recent stories. So you know, along with what you were saying about not necessarily seeing those sales pages that are performing well, that were AI generated, and that we'd like to see more of those wins. Um, you know, there was a story um, about an AI generated science fiction novel that won a literary prize in China <laughs> recently. And so I think that we are seeing and we will continue to see more um, copy and content that is award winning and creates these questions for us. You know, is this worthy of winning? Um, and when do we need to be transparent? When do we not be? And even just tighter regulations on when we're using AI, when we're not using AI, 
human generated versus AI generated. So I do think the level and the, of the copy and writing will reach that point where it is hard to tell and um, we're already there. And so that's that's one prediction. I have a couple other, but what, why don't you jump into Rob? Yeah, I have a, a couple of things that I think are going to happen. I think, uh, you know, moving forward, last year was a year of just tons and tons of improvements and major announcements. I think that that's going to slow down a bit. Uh, I do think that we're going to have incremental improvements, but I don't see any massive uh, step shifts like we saw over the last 18 months or so. You know, it's not going to take us to an entirely different level. I think we've got a year or two, maybe maybe even a decade to sort of figure out, okay, how do we use AIs the way that we have them currently configured. So I I could be totally wrong about that, but it just seems like uh, seeing a step shift like what we saw last November with the announcement of ChatGPT, not likely to happen. I'm not going to disagree with you. It's your prediction. I'm going to predict maybe the opposite or um, just push that a little bit further. I think it'll feel like five years of changes and shifts in the upcoming year. I think it will just speed up and we'll say, oh my gosh, 2023 was just a walk in the park. <laughs> like 20, And I know that's getting kind of depressing. Hopefully it's not getting depressing, but I think the exponential change in 2024 is going to be a lot to handle. I don't think we, I don't know. I don't think we have that decade and that slower pace, but we can see how it plays out. Well, yeah. We'll see a Which year from now. I right. think, I think the reason that I think that I feel the way that I feel is, you know, when you look at tools like Midjourney. There's not a lot of massive improvement. I mean, it's today it is producing photo quality images. It, you know, for whatever reason, like all the weirdness around fingers and backgrounds, like most of that stuff has disappeared. Now, there may be some tweaking at the edges. So um, I don't think, you know, there's, there's just not a way for it to get that much better than it is. I think with the language models, they probably could get a lot better. Um, mm -hmm. But again, we've got issues with recursion. We've got issues with processing power, that kind of stuff. So I think it'll be a little slower. One area I do think is going to improve massively is going to be video, video and audio and using yep. AI to create, you know, we, we talked about this in a former episode as well, but the risks around what happens when you know, somebody can take a video and clone you, clone your voice, you know, call your family members, say that you're stuck on the side of the road, um, you know, call your employees, record you saying horrible things that you would never say in real life. All, you know, like all of those risks, I think, will become more of a reality next year because the improvements in video and audio are going to be uh, pretty massive. But I, I still see that as a, a small thing in comparison to like the shifts that we've seen in AI over the last year. Yeah. And I think another shift we'll see is just more um, attention and focus on AI identities and taking on professional identities connected to AI. And so that could just mean updating titles on LinkedIn. I know there's been a huge increase in adding those titles and keywords to LinkedIn profiles over the last year, but I think that will become very common where it's like, you know, most writers we see will have some type of AI, you know, keyword attached to their LinkedIn profile because it's now a disadvantage if you don't have that. Or maybe you go in opposition to that and you push away from it, but you're really intentional about pushing away and you want to show up as more of an artisan that doesn't use AI tools, but it'll be very clear how you're using it and where you stand with AI as a creative um, in a way that maybe was more hidden over the last year or two. Um, it'll be at the forefront. This is another prediction, but I think AI is going to start to show up in uh, in apps. It's going to change the way we use our smartphones. Uh, those of us who have smartphones, uh, it's not going to change flip phones much. 
I think we're going to start to see it change. Uh, we, we're already starting to see a shift in like how Google uses AI to serve up results. Google has actually, in my opinion, become less effective and that completely changes the way that SEO is working. And I think those are the shifts that we're going to see in marketing going to really impact businesses as opposed to uh, tools that are new tools that are come on online and you know, really shift anything in, in that direction. I'll add another one. I think there will be more, this is outside of the copywriting space and creative space, but not entirely. Um, there will be more relationship focused AI apps um, that will be more accepted, I think, culturally than maybe it would have been a couple of years ago where it's like, oh yeah, of course you have an AI relationship with uh, this friend or this boyfriend or girlfriend. And I think that will just become part of our culture and again, just more socially accepted. And so I like, I keep an eye on that because I'm just so freaking curious about that space. And it's just bizarre, but also like not bizarre because people are lonely and they desire relationships and connection. So I experiment when I, with those tools when I see them to see like what is out there and it's fascinating. So I may have like an AI boyfriend on the side just for pure purposes of learning um, because I think it's a fascinating space. So we can keep an eye on that too. I just can't even wrap my head around wanting a fake friend or, but. Once it, you start doing it, you definitely see happens. It, 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 interesting though. It's like, it feel, it doesn't feel like a real person, but there is this level of engagement where um, you can see how people feel connected to it and feel that pull to go in and check what that person said to them next. And it's definitely worth studying as far as like human behavior and how we operate and what we need. I do think we'll see a lot of AI therapists, AI coaches, yep. you know, those kinds of things that um, will make those kinds of services more accessible to more people. I, I think, you know, going along with what I was saying earlier, I also think that we're going to see this is already available, but it's not easy to do, but I expect to see easy to run models of AIs that you're going to be able to host on your desktop or your laptop or your phone. Like I said, they're already out there, but it takes a, a bit of work to set them up and get them running. I think that stuff is going to become really easy to do. And so maybe you set up your AI boyfriend as a, a you know, as an app on your phone or, or maybe it's, you know, other AI tools that uh, we start to run, you know, GPTs off of our phones that are coded to the way that we talk or the way that we think or to the frameworks that we use in order to make everything else that we do easy. Yeah. And I think before we, again, shift to talking about what's happening moving forward, what roles are available, we should probably just touch on, you know, just um, within our community, the Copywriter Club community, what we have seen, you know, just the struggles too, because I feel like we've been overly positive, which is maybe surprising. We haven't gotten dark yet. But we've been pretty positive about the impact and how, you know, AI is not going to impact us that much as writers because what we do is important. But also there's been significant struggle and job loss, gig loss in our space that we've seen firsthand. And that could be connected to the economy and, you know, other factors at play as well, not just AI. But I think we should acknowledge the fact that it's been a difficult year for many writers, not all writers. We've also seen writers that have had amazing years because, you know, everyone's posting about it on LinkedIn right now, so you can't miss it. But we've also seen many writers who have struggled to keep retainer clients and are struggling to book projects, um, not because they aren't talented and not because they're not marketing and doing all the right things, but just because it's more difficult right now. So that is something real that people are still dealing with. 
I don't know if I've said it on this particular show, but I think most of those challenges have come out of the economy as opposed to AI. There's no doubt that some content jobs, some copy jobs have been lost to AI. I'm not trying to minimize that at all, but I think it's been relatively small. And I think it happens sort of at the lower levels of content creation. If you were as a business hiring you know, people off of Fiverr or, you know, some of those marketplaces where you're literally paying pennies per word or less, uh, or, you know, you're putting out these opportunities, you know, for blog posts for $25. I think that stuff is absolutely going to be wiped out by AI. Like AI can do that for less money and it produces a result that is about the same. At the mid to higher levels though, I, I don't see the same thing happening. And I think, the first six months of the year, a lot of clients were probably thinking, oh, now we can use ChatGPT to do all of this stuff. They tried it, it didn't work. And a lot of them were coming back to copywriters or are, are reaching out to copywriters saying, hey, can you help us figure out how to use these tools better? Because like we said at the top of the show, those skills that copywriters have are still incredibly valuable when it comes to helping people solve their problems, providing your reasons why they need to buy products, services, that kind of thing. So I know I'm staying cheery on this, but that's because I, maybe I'm still in the denial phase here. I'm, I'm you know, five steps behind everybody else. But after watching the last year, I still think there's this massive, great opportunity for copywriters and uh, I'm not walking away from it. I don't disagree. And I still feel that in, in projects I've worked on and, and the needs in the space. Um, and I think it's, it is hard to differentiate, like, is the impact from AI? Is it from the economy? Is it from something like we don't have that breakdown right now, but I, I agree with you. I think it's mostly from the economy and some uncertainty in different industries. I do think even with clients that have taken it on and have, you know, I've seen some clients where they have all the like amazing templates, for, let's say for writing emails. So they're set up to write daily emails and they're using AI tools to do that. And they're able to kind of get started on that. If they're a CEO, you know, they're quickly going to run out of time to do that. Even if it doesn't take them as long as writing it from scratch, that is a process and that is definitely a project. And so there is still a need, even with the best prompts and even with the best templates to hand off many of these things. And that's not even addressing strategy, right? Like there's a whole strategic picture of what should you be sending and when, and that's where we can come in and help. So I agree with you. I think that's, there's still a ton of opportunities. So I guess we are being relatively positive at this point and that's good. Rob, what about with our course? I think we could talk a little bit about how our AI, you know, for copywriters and creatives course has helped or could help creatives who want to stay relevant and are like maybe overwhelmed at this point. How do you think that could help them? Yeah. So we launched this course last spring uh, when you know, ChatGPT and Claude were brand new. Uh, really, people were just trying to you know figure out how to you know, wrap their arms around it. And it, it still does that, right? If you are new to AI and want to understand the basics of using ChatGPT or Claude or any of the other, uh, you know, perplexity, hugging face, any of those other uh, large language models out there, uh, it will introduce you to, you know, how do you prompt, how do you do the back and forth? We're actually working on a pretty major update to that course right now. Um, you know, just bringing it into line with all the changes that we had, probably adding in more about using uh, tools like Midjourney for image creation, uh, really trying to uh, just upscale that so that it, you know, we're staying on top of it. We made that promise to anybody who bought the course, so we're going to continue to renew it and update it. And so that update is coming soon. Obviously, anybody you know who wants to start learning can jump in and see the content that's there now. We'll be adding the new content uh, in the very near future, next few weeks. 
Yeah. And I think this course is great because there are many AI courses out there. I see new ones every single day, but this one is really designed for copywriters and creatives. So it is relevant to what we do as a craft rather than more generic, you know, marketing AI courses. We've talked a lot about like copywriting, the jobs that we do, how it's impacting that, but you've put together a few ideas of, you know, ways that people might think about their jobs a little bit differently. Even if they continue to do copy and do marketing strategy, maybe some roles that they might take on in addition that are either enabled by AI or perhaps it's a shift because you don't want to compete with AI. Why don't you talk through a couple of those ideas? Yeah, this is really less about using just using AI and what you do. Some of them may involve using AI, but it's also where is the opportunity today? And some of these ideas are pulled from interviews that we've had. And those, you know, those every interview we've had on this podcast usually triggers one idea for like, oh, there's a job. And it may not be a typical writing job, but it usually involves something around our skill set of communication. Um, maybe it's designed, you know, for someone who has more empathy who's a good researcher, who's a creative thinker. The first one that comes to mind that I'm, I don't know why I'm personally interested in this one, is more of a trainer model. Well, I know why I'm interested in this. I like the idea of facilitating and training and helping people learn. And so there is this amazing opportunity as communicators and people people for us to step into more of a facilitator role and more of a trainer role where we can teach organizations, it could be of all sizes, but definitely at the enterprise level, how to use these tools in their careers, in their day-to-day -day jobs. And there is going to be a huge need to provide this training at an enterprise level. And I'm thinking more of Microsoft Copilot. And you know, uh, Forrester Research predicts that 6.9 million U.S. knowledge workers will be using Microsoft Copilot in 2024. Many people have access to it at the enterprise level already, but they probably have no idea how to use it in their day-to-day -day jobs. And so that is a huge opportunity for us to learn it if we don't already know it and come in and present and help people develop those skills when they're busy and overwhelmed and struggling just to get their day-to-day -day job done. And so I'm drawn to that. If you are someone who likes to teach, it might be something you want to look into. It doesn't have to be Microsoft Copilot. It could be any tool that you know is useful in those businesses, but it may take some learning to really understand how to best use it. Yeah, there's definitely an opportunity for copywriters to continue to train corporate groups on the principles of copywriting, message creation, communication, all of that. And if you were to go in with your own prompts, your own frameworks for using the tools and say, you know, here's how I'm using Claude to do this, or here's how I'm using a tool like Jasper to do this other thing. I think it becomes really easy for us to uh, augment training that we were doing before for these groups with the particular tools that they might be able to use then to, to, to create these things on their own. In the past, we'd be teaching them frameworks for copywriting. Now, maybe teaching those, those frameworks, but also saying, now here's how you plug it into an AI tool in order to get the results you need even faster. The trick here will be focusing on one tool, and that can be a bit of a gamble because some tools may disappear overnight. So we definitely want to try to choose a tool like Microsoft Copilot that has a lot of money invested in it and will not disappear overnight, most likely, um, and not spreading yourself too thin because it will be hard to keep up and maintain a skill set on multiple tools. And then also be really clear on who is the ideal client. Are you working with enterprises? Are you working with small business, small businesses of a certain size, but really knowing who your audience is and how could benefit that organization? Yeah. If you're going to do this, understanding your X factor, 
understanding, you know, the problem that you solve, understanding the unique mechanism or the way that you do things differently. All of that stuff that we do as copywriters for our clients and for ourselves becomes important too, so that you stand out from everybody else and become the go-to resource for whatever it is that you decide to train on. Okay. Another role, um, this one we've talked about before, but it's, it's really pushing back and kind of pushing away from synthetics and using AI. Um, we can call it the artisan. So it's really leaning and going even deeper into the craft as a specialist who is organic. And I think there are many opportunities to message yourself that way, to stand out and really send a signal that I do not use these tools and here's why, and here's why this will be better. And there could be an opportunity to even charge more for it and to really become known for being that artisan. Um, I think there's so many great marketing opportunities there to stand out, but you really have to, you know, like lean into it and own it and go all the way. And I think we'll see more of that happening over the next year. This whole idea reminds me of a demo video I saw in the reviews ago from Saddleback Leather Company. So uh, this is completely you know, different from what we're talking about. But in the world of shopping and creation of bags by machines for the last you know several decades, Saddleback Leather Company leaned into the fact that all of their bags are handmade, hand-stitched. And uh, th there was even a, a, the video I'm thinking of was called how to knock off a saddleback leather bag. And the CEO of the company literally steps through the creation of the bag, all of the different things that they do, and then says, you know, if you're going to knock this off, you would, you don't want to use cheaper leather here or not do a double stitch here or whatever. And I think this whole idea of humans creating for humans is one that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Now, a lot of people won't, and they're going to want the machine created, whatever, the same thing that everybody has. But there is going to be a massive, not massive, there's going to be uh, a big audience for those people who want to connect with humans that don't want the synthetic boyfriend, synthetic girlfriend, synthetic copywriter. They want a real human who's going to talk to the real humans to buy their products. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. It's exciting. Another opportunity could be something we can call the culture-driven copywriter. So maybe it is a copywriter or like a messaging strategist who really leans into cultural sensitivity and nuanced understanding of a particular topic. So that means that you may use AI tools in different ways, but you are helping your clients who might also be using AI tools to really make sure that values are integrated different perspectives are integrated and experiences into the final message in a way that tools today just can't do that. And making sure it's relevant to kind of what's happening with current issues, but also connecting back to historical context and really going all in on a particular subculture or community. This is something that we've seen PETA O'Brien Day one of our think tank members do really well as she's kind of leaned into her own positioning as someone who can weave in values and even kind of a political stance into her clients' messaging to stay relevant and kind of not shy away from some more difficult topics that they may need to address in their own messaging. She's really gifted at doing that in a nuanced way. And so that's something that she's leaned into in her own brand. And you know, she's someone that I have seen have a really successful 2023. And so that's that's definitely working for her. The key for me on this one is nuance. Uh, you know, the, leaning into culture, 
most people who do it aren't nuanced at all. And obviously we've seen some backlash against, you know, mistakes that companies have made over the past year. So understanding the nuance, making sure that you're talking to the right audience, you know, the products are a fit for that. That's what copywriters do today. So it's really just emphasizing those skills if you can do it well so that your clients don't misstep and don't make the mistakes that we've seen a few companies make over the past year or so. Another opportunity and potential role could be as a conversational AI designer or a conversational AI copywriter. And that's something that I didn't fully understand when I first learned about it. I thought it was more just like actually writing in a conversational voice and tone. But this is actually about voice, you know, AI generated voice content and developing that content. And we have a whole episode, episode 19, with Susan Westwater, who lives and breathes conversational AI and has worked with some of the largest brands to develop this voice AI. And like, this is a whole huge opportunity for us to come in and to understand that landscape. It's different from what we do, as, especially as copywriters, but there's a lot of overlap and it's something that is worth exploring if you're interested in that. And this is one of those challenging areas where AI is going to have a massive impact that we don't even understand yet what's happening there. I'll just reiterate something that I think we've said in some previous shows, but we want to make sure that when you're putting content out into the world, you're not limiting it to one place like LinkedIn, because that stuff doesn't necessarily get picked up by AI engines. And so if you want to be found in the future by an SEO driven algorithm or you know an AI algorithm, you need to be in places where the engines can find you and where they can crawl you and implement your information into their database. Some of that you may not want to share, which is fine, but if somebody's typing into you know Google 2027 and saying you know who's the best copywriter for SEOs, whatever for you know for tech, and I want to show up as that person, I need to be out there talking about that stuff now so that it's in the engines. Yeah, and we've, we, I think we've mentioned this before too, but a great way to do that, um, which I think Christopher Penn mentioned, is to uh, speak on multiple podcasts. And you know, his whole point of view is like, it doesn't. We often just want to speak on the larger podcast because we want to have lots of listeners and and make sure we're, you know a lot of people can hear our name. But any opportunity, even for a small podcast with five listeners, if that transcript is published online, which many podcasts do publish transcripts now because it's so easy, and your name is all over that transcript with a bunch of keywords, then that is going to show up in different AI tools and chatbots. So that's another way to just get that exposure and make sure that you're relevant in search. Yeah, the key is you want to be out there in order to be found. Rob, I'm going to let you choose the next scroll link, maybe something that speaks to you a little bit more or you'd be more interested in digging into. I kind of uh, tapped into this earlier, but I think, you know, the role is the optimizer, the person who is taking what AIs are producing and figuring out, like, how do I not just improve it, but how do I make sure that it's hitting all of the right buttons? How do I make sure that it's actually doing what we want it to do? That starts with prompt engineering and the inputs that we put in there, but it also, there's a lot of massaging on the back end, but then there's also some, some organizational level opportunities here where you can be helping other people, a little bit like the trainer, but where you can be helping other people do the same thing so that you're consistent. Uh, it's almost like the, you know, instead of a, a voice guide or an addition to a voice guide, you've got an AI guide for how you use AI throughout an organization. I think there's some, a lot of opportunities there as well. Oh, that seems okay. Okay, so that feels like a different role. It's 
what would you even call that? It's um, like more creating pr guiding principles and. Yeah. I mean, I look at it more from a creation standpoint. So I don't want to be the person who's administrating right. the stuff. Right. But there's so many opportunities, again, for helping organizations figure out how to use these tools and then use them in a way that doesn't go off the rails. And um, yeah, of course, there are going to be processes around that. And maybe there are roles there that would introduce that would be interesting to people. But this whole idea that it needs to be optimized, no matter how we're using it, I don't think it's going to go away in the next year or two. Yeah, that's really cool because we're all comfortable creating these uh, brand guides for clients. You know, many of us are, do that already, but it's like, what if we added this other deliverable where we're helping them develop, you know, AI best practices and perspectives for an organization for them to follow given our expertise and then our skill as a writer to actually develop it in a way that people read it and understand it rather than just skipping over it and not using it. Okay, another one, which I'm going to mention just because I think it's interesting, but it's definitely not my area of expertise, is the RPA specialist. And RPA stands for Robotic Process Automation. So already, like, you lose me, right? <laughs> but this is something that John Mulry has talked about on our AI podcast and I think even our TCC podcast. And I see this as a huge opportunity to develop these RPAs that serve a, a specific task and have a specific purpose, right? They're solving a problem in our businesses on an operational standpoint. And we have the ability to create these. We can create these for our clients. We can create an RPA that has a specific purpose and we can actually build it and sell it to our clients to help them solve that problem in their business. Like it could have one thing that it does. Like, what would be a good example of that, Rob? Well, I, I think the idea here is anything that you're doing over and over and over in your yeah. business, you should, you know, I mean, you're, it's already a, a candidate for automation or for, you know, having a VA do it. So why not just have an AI do it? And using tools like Zapier or Make in order to link things together so that, you know, let's say that you record a podcast and then using Zapier or Make, you link it to the AI that automates the transcript or, you know, creates all of the video segments that you might want to share out into the world and then, you know, automatically uploads it to your website. Like those things can happen and can happen automatically so that, you know, when you update something or when there's a new uh, a change in in whatever the application is, all this stuff just happens. I do think there's an, an opportunity here. If you understand those technologies, it's, it's not really a copywriting type job, but if you understand those technologies, helping clients set this stuff up is a game changer for your clients. It has a ton of value, especially right now, because there are so few people who can actually do this. Yeah. I mean, it would be cool to set it up where there is an intake form. Let's say my client has an intake form, but if I can create an RPA that extracts information from that intake form from my client's customers and then, you know, uses it to create a Facebook ad that is actually relevant and is speaking to that audience as of, you know, as of today. It's what's the words and language they're using. Like that could be really cool. And so right. I do think you're right. Like this is definitely more for a, maybe a technical minded person who's a copywriter and interested in exploring new areas, but there's so much opportunity here. I think we can all figure it out if we we wanted to, like we could dive deep into it and add that as a different side of our business. 
I mean, the example that you use is, is a really good one. You, you take a testimonial that somebody leaves, you know, in a type form, a jot form, a Google form, whatever, uh, creates automatically creates an, an ad with a, you know, an AI generated image, drops it into Facebook and then watches the performance in Facebook for a day or two to see is it performing well or not. And it actually turns it off or uh, increases the ad spend depending on the performance. Like you can set all of those parameters. You can set it all up. So that just happens automatically. And again, if they're optimized well enough and, and you know this process, I mean, imagine what, you know, a, an ad could do that, you know, takes $1 and turns it into two and you're able to replicate that over and over and over. This stuff is the kind of stuff that literally could add millions of dollars to your clients' businesses if you understand how to string them all together. Yeah, or it could be your your own RPA that you're using for your clients that allows you to work with 20 clients a month rather than two clients a month and like just allows you to move faster. And maybe it's again going to the intake form when your client submits information on the intake form and maybe you have some surveys that go out, you get all that and it's zapped into a template for a sales page. So you don't even have to populate the sales page. It's being populated by kind of the key stakeholders, right? The customers and your client. And so all you're doing is going in later and optimizing it and making sure it's working, but that could save you hours of time. So I think you know, like it definitely can help us in our own businesses. It allows us to work with more clients, or you, if you're really good at it, you could start to sell these and create these for clients. And that's like a whole other direction. I'll mention one other before we run out of time here, but uh, the offer specialist. In my opinion, this is one of the things that copywriters don't do that they should do more of. And that is helping our clients understand, is their offer actually a good offer? Oftentimes, we'll just assume that, that this is the offer and there's no way of changing it. So we write copy. The copy may be phenomenally good. You may even be talking to the right people because the offer is not so great. It falls flat. And of course, then we blame the copy. You know, it just, it wasn't good enough to sell the product. Well, oftentimes the product isn't good enough to sell no matter how good the copy is. And I think becoming a specialist in helping our clients improve their offers, what the value is that they're providing, the bonuses, the way that they tell that story, the way they structure payments, all of those th those elements that come into an offer, I think is a massive opportunity already existing before AI. And you can even use AI tools, you know, again, if you have your frameworks for creating this, if you know, you know, how do you, you know, add bonuses to a particular type of product, you can feed all of that into an AI and have the AI help you make it even more valuable so I think there's a, a massive opportunity there. Yeah, and I'll just cover uh, two more real quick. Um, one similar to the offer specialist is the framework specialist. So helping clients create unique mechanisms is something that many of us are good at because we're creative thinkers and we understand how to put elements together in a way that's really clear and connects with a reader. And so this is something that you know our clients typically struggle with. It's not easy to do it. And so if that's something that excites you or maybe you enjoy doing it for your own business, that can be an offer that you put out into the world to create these for your own clients. One last one that we've talked about before, so it's nothing new, but I think it's worth repeating, the brand strategist and really leaning more into that brand side of what you do because it's hard, you know, as more of us use these tools and use the same tools and our clients start to sound like everyone else, the important part will be how do you stand out? How do you get attention? How do you sound different and unique and relevant to your audience? And so the work we do as brand strategists will become even more critical than it has been. It's always been important. 
And that could be at an enterprise level or it could be at an individual level if you're working with a client who just you know, wants to feel seen and understood and to have you kind of take the essence of who they are and their brand and put that to words and paper and create that. Like that is something that is hard for a robot to do at this point. Yeah, for sure. All of those are, are great options for people to be thinking about how our roles may change or be augmented in the future. All right. So there are probably plenty of other options that maybe we'll share in future episodes as we gather more ideas, but hopefully this is a good place for you to get started or maybe just feel re-energized thinking about what's possible for you in the year ahead. And because I teased it at the beginning of the episode, let's just briefly mention some of the things that we need to be focused on in 2024 moving forward so that we're staying on top of it. We're you know using these tools effectively. Number one, uh, and this one speaks to my heart because I, this is just what I love doing, and that is continuously learning. Um, you know, it's things are going to continue to change. There's no way around that. And so, you know, being focused on keeping up to date by subscribing to one or two newsletters about AI, and there are more than a dozen of them out there that are really good, you know, just as a, a daily update, what's happening, here's some tools to try out, here's some things that they're doing. Uh, differently, you know, here's the latest release of Midjourney or you know ChatGPT or Claude or whatever. What are the differences? Staying up to date on that stuff is relatively easy. Um, we have just put together a new newsletter as a test to see if our audience of copywriters likes it. But uh, intending to keep copywriters up to date on all of the changes in AI. If you're interested in that. You subscribe to our email list and you can easily segment yourself into that particular email if you want to stay up to date. It's just once a week, so it's not uh, pounding your inbox with all kinds of stuff that's uh, going to freak you out, but it will be enough to keep you up to date to the changes that are happening in uh, in the world. And then secondly, let me just mention networking collaboration because as these changes happen, having a strong network of people that you can rely on for not just ideas and uh, support, but sometimes for leads, if things go a little bit dry, uh, you know, all of those, there's so many reasons to not do creativity alone, whether you're a writer or a designer or a programmer or whatever field you're in, there are ways to do it with other people, even when we're alone here in our own offices and building a strong network collaborating with others is going to become more important as the world inches into a, a yeah, into an AI future. Yeah, and I would add that, you know, local community and collaboration and networking is probably even more important than ever at least in, from my perspective and something I'm focusing on more is building those connections in your community uh, when that works for you. And the the final kind of tip would be really kind of connected to all of this, definitely connected to the continuous learning, is just making sure you're taking care of your own mental health and wellness. And that look, will look different for everyone. But I know, you know, it may mean, you know, taking a break from the continuous learning and tapping out and giving yourself, you know, one week a month where you're just not reading about the latest in AI, not listening to all the podcasts, not stressing out about what you need to integrate. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's less than that. But um, I think that is going to be critical because, like I said in my prediction, I think this is only going to ramp up over the year ahead. We're going to be kind of slammed with like what's new, what's changing constantly. So we just need to take care of ourselves and know what that looks like. You know, it's different for everyone. 
And if you're looking for a place where you can sort of exercise all of these things, you know, community, staying up to date, continually learning, the Copywriter Underground is our membership where we do all of this stuff. We are focused on copywriting, but talking in depth about AI, the tools that are available and how to use it, uh, use various tools to do what we do better. So you might want to check that out at thecopywriterunderground.com. You know, I just want to ask one question, Rob, and maybe we'll post this for the community to answer as well. But if you, Rob, found out your favorite song was written by AI, would you like it any less, any more, any different? This is a hard question to answer because I don't know. I don't know the artists that create a lot of my favorite songs personally. And so, like, logically, it shouldn't make a difference. It's the song itself. But at the same time, like, you know, one of the reasons that I love listening to Frank Morgan, who's you know, this phenomenally great jazz artist, is because I know a little bit of his story. I know, you know, the people who've talked about him in certain places where I'm like, oh, yeah, I get that. Or, you know, I heard that mentioned, so I go listen to him. So some of that background does matter, ultimately. But what if but your I AI performer, the songwriter or jazz musician had a background story that was synthetic, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like really this goes back to that, that whole, you know, human, not human, saddleback leather, you know, it's like, yeah. I think there is a propensity for me to want to connect to humans and to think that, you know, the robots are fake. So I, again, I want to say that it's really the tune that matters and I shouldn't care, but part of me is going to care. Would you be different? Think? I think for me, it's just, it's, I, I have to separate the two in my mind. So maybe that's a, a cheating as an answer, but it's like, I will have my favorite human performer and song. And then I can also have a different category with my favorite AI musician and have a favorite there, but I can't, I'm not ready to merge the two. Maybe I'll get there eventually. Just I'm kind of like my, that doesn't work in my brain quite yet. Yeah. I mean, replacing musicians, uh, replacing the chef that comes up with your favorite recipe or whatever. I mean, it's the recipe that matters. It's not the person that created it. So, But it is the know, story, right? It's a story like maybe. over the holiday, we went to a restaurant because of the chef's story and like who he was as a person, his upbringing, like his history. And so unless all of that is generated in an authentic, believable, you know, compelling way, but we can get there. I mean, as copywriters, we can create those stories. Will be interesting to see how this all shapes out because it probably these are probably questions in the future that are going to matter. Okay, to wrap up this episode, uh, I think that you know our biggest takeaway or my biggest takeaway here is that look, you just need to be thinking about this stuff. You need to embrace your role as a copywriter. Uh, you, whether you choose to add AI or not is up to you, but I think you're making a big mistake if you don't at least understand it, learn about it, talk about it with other people. And you know, if any of those roles that we were talking through uh, you know, resonate with you, let us know which one. Drop it in the comments below if you're watching here on YouTube, or you can email us directly and tell us why. Why does that matter? Why does that look good for you in the future? And allow yourself to follow your curiosity, right? It doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to force myself to sit down and learn about this AI tool this week because I have to, to stay relevant. It's like, I don't know, just ignore half the tools and just follow the one each month or week that just kind of delights you and create some curiosity like that AI boyfriend would. Like, you will learn something from it that you can bring to your job. So just follow that curiosity and make it like make it fun. For me, I have to make it fun. Otherwise, I just get overwhelmed and I, I tap out. And once again, if you want to jump into our AI for Copywriters course, which we highly recommend, 
go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash AI4C. That is the end of this episode of AI for Creative Entrepreneurs, a Copywriter Club podcast produced by the amazing Brandon Burton. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please leave a review of the show. It is a new show, so we need your reviews more than ever if it's a positive review. It will allow us to connect with more people who might be interested in learning about AI from a creative entrepreneur's perspective. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.